Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul Don Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Polt, and today I've got uh, Cal Langton. He's the director of uh, EV charging infrastructures at uh, ABB North America, and uh, interestingly enough, I've brought him on board to uh, talk about EV infrastructures. So, hi, uh, welcome to the show, Cal. Hey, Alex, thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. I look forward to our conversation. Oh, well, you know, the pleasure is uh, ours because EV, electric vehicles are becoming such a major uh, part of the, becoming a real player in the marketplace. But uh, as I'm fond of saying, amateurs talk tactics and professionals talk logistics. An EV is not just a vehicle. It's, it implies an entire infrastructure behind it. And I know ABB's recently done some things in, with, uh, released some uh, multi-standard charging devices, but uh, I, I realize that it's also a, a deeper issue than that DC fast charging. There are a lot of things going on in the EV space, and that's why I wanted to have you here to uh, talk about them. So from your point of view, w- where do you see this all going? What do you see some of the challenges in the electric uh, vehicle infrastructure space? Well, that, that's a great question and a very, a very broad question. I kind of, you know, I'll take a step back and talk a little bit about what ABB does in this space. So ABB, uh, as a very large industrial conglomerate, a real leader uh, on the smart grid and the electric grid operations in general, that really colors our view on EV charging infrastructure. So like you said, uh, EV charging is really one key element, and it's, it's that final node to the customer, to the consumer, to the user. And then everything upstream of that is really where things start to get more and more interesting for a company like ABB. So we take a very holistic view of that entire uh, power delivery value chain with the EV charger as the final point of, of power distribution. Um, and I would say that that, that colors our, our approach to uh, charger design, to charger deployments, uh, and how we approach the market and our go-to-market strategy as well. So as, as you alluded to, before, there's lots of things to consider when you're talking about uh, whether you are looking to install uh, EV chargers at your facility, whether you're looking to, um, you know, measure the, the, quantify the impacts of, if you're a utility looking to quantify the impacts of electric cars in a certain region or in your utility region. So there's many different ways you can approach this. I'll just kind of start from the car side at a very high level and work my way back. So you mentioned before... Sure. Um, the standards for the, for the car side, and there's many many layers of standards here. I, I won't go into all detail. One of the one one of the more confusing standards, uh, especially, is the plug standard. So we view that as a, as a key aspect. And while I wouldn't say it's it's really uh, uh, a barrier to adoption, it does create um, what what I think is an unseemly amount of consumer uh, confusion. We, we at ABB are trying to address that by having multi-standard chargers so that the consumers can arrive at a station, and whether it's an AC or a DC station, uh, be able to find the connector they need for the use case they desire. So whether it's a four to eight hour charge, so at your, at your workplace, at your home, um, or at a parking garage, or whether it's a one hour charge, maybe at a restaurant or a shopping mall, or if it's a 15 minute charge at a high power DC fast charger, you need to have those connectors available. So we as ABB make chargers with all the available standards. And, and really the standards right now um, in the low-power AC segment uh, is dictated by SAE, Society of Automotive Engineers, called SAE J1772. That's what most people think of when they think of an EV plug. 
Mm-hmm. At the DC side, it's slightly more complicated. There's the Cha Demo standard, uh, which is early early adopted by the Japanese car makers. So Nissan, who's the, the real leader uh, in EVs in the U.S. right now, uh, especially on DC fast chargeable EVs, um, that's been the de facto standard. And now we have a, another standard that sits next to it called uh, SAE Combo, which is also a Society of Automotive Engineers, but for DC fast charging. So that offers a similar level of functionality of CHA-DEMO with some minor differences in how that standard is implemented, which, which may uh, help the grid over the long term. So just, just as an example, uh, CHA-DEMO in its current iteration uses CAN bus communications to the vehicle. Um, while flexible, they lack some of the smart grid features that the, that the SAE combo adds by using PLC or power line carrier communications to the vehicle. So things mm-hmm. like active, active power management, power routing, and interaction with third-party uh, operational grid management suites, such as demand response or distribution system management software programs, uh, is much, much easier via the PLC protocol. So that those are kind of those are some things to consider. I, I think that the the consumer choice, though, and let's say the 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 decision point there for the the owners and operators of EV charging systems, they still have to provide all those standards. So for the next few years, we're going to see multi-outlet chargers, especially multi-outlet DC fast chargers, um, that have both the CHA demo and the combo standard. And I would be I would be remiss in in, in not mentioning uh, the Tesla supercharger, which is another animal entirely. Uh, but that is a proprietary Tesla standard, and they have really uh, you know vertically integrated themselves to do everything from the manufacture of the charging stations to site selection to installation uh, of those charging stations to support highway travel of Tesla Model S and and future vehicles. So a very different model than what I talk about when I talk about uh, multi-standard DC fast charging um, in general. Well, well, if I may, I mean, but Cal, that makes all the sense in the world because, as you said earlier, the philosophy of deployment is also based upon the company's perspective. You know, as Einstein said, reality is determined by the point of view of the observer. Tesla is obviously not creating these chargers to create a a national electric vehicle standard as much as they are just making sure that they can support their product line within the parameters that they've announced to their customers that they expect to be able to achieve. That's correct. I mean, I, I agree entirely. And, and, and to some extent, it's, it's an enviable position for them to be in. Um, but their, you know, their vehicle has a, has a significantly different use case than, uh, say, a Nissan Leaf. So, exactly. or even a delivery van. Or even a delivery van. But let, let's look at let's sticking to the passenger passenger EV fleet right now. So a Nissan Leaf yes, has a real world range of something like. I mean, let's be realistic. It's, it's EPA rated around 85 miles via the, 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 the five-cycle test, they call it. So it, it's, it's not a long-distance travel car, whereas the Model S with the 85-kilowatt-hour battery pack has uh, a five-cycle EPA-rated range of 265 miles. So then, you, then you're talking about, okay, this is something I can take long distance. So they have set the, – the tone of their deployment is, is – Twofold. One, it's a sales tool, and and two, it's really to enable long distance travel of their vehicles. Now, right. b- back to back to the ABB products. 
our customers aren't really trying to achieve that same level of range on range autonomy um, that, that, that Tesla has. And that's for, for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is just the, the capabilities of the vehicles themselves. So what we're seeing then is DC fast chargers being installed. They, they do help alleviate range anxiety. They do help people take those longer trips that push you to the edge or slightly beyond of your, your, your rated range, the 85 miles or however long, um, and make, puts that car from just a commuter 20 miles each way to work to, to really a, a daily driver with the exception of the very long trips. So we're seeing more of those, we're seeing more of those DC fast chargers for Chad Demo and SAE Combo going up in urban and suburban areas rather than uh, interstate or, or connecting corridors. And I think that's an important aspect to, to keep in mind for folks who are looking about getting into the business, about hosting chargers at their site, because there's you know specific and idiosyncratic challenges you come up with trying to place a significant load, a 50-kilowatt load, a 20-kilowatt load in an urban area that you might not experience if you're placing it uh, in the middle of the highway. Excellent point, Cal. And and the other, and one of the earlier points that you brought up that I wanted to come back to, if only fleetingly, is what this also represents at, in, in context of the smart grid and the Internet of Things and the communication protocols and the command structures involved, because I can foresee a time when the vehicle and the facility and the grid and the consumer's own products are negotiating on who has priority on setting the thermostat in the car. That's right. Yeah, yeah, 100% correct. And you have two, really two aspects of that. I think you have both at the house level, um, which is interesting, but to really get involved there, I mean, that's more like like you said, Internet of Things, smart home. We, we as ABB, were more engaged in looking at this from a public infrastructure level, and that gets really interesting for DC fast chargers that operate at the 50-kilowatt level. So... You know, I, I have this very famous slide that I refer to a lot, but, but basically there's three main aspects of, of what I view the EV charging infrastructure business. You have the, the chargers and the charger management. You have the, the consumer networks, so that's business-to-consumer, subscriber, billing, authentication. And then you have the grid side, then you have the grid side management, and that's demand response, distribution system management. And the interaction between the charger and charger management and the grid side management, that's really one of my main focus areas. So what standards right. are being employed? How, how do we help our customers communicate to the grid? And then how do they subsequently, how do they subsequently communicate to their customers? I think what, what you see is a huge opportunity in terms of demand response for, uh, for chargers in general, for public, public chargers. So, you know, the public chargers are being used more on peak than the home chargers. So home chargers, people typically plug in at night. So it's off peak hours for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're having a little a less impact on the grid. And really, it, it actually, it can be good for some grids to, you know, stabilize the base load, to have that load at night. But well, that, the, that makes a lot of sense as, as well, Cal, when you think about yeah. the whole aspect of uh, load shifting. In one way, all of these electric vehicles at night are literally shifting a lot of the grid load from night to day because otherwise those electric vehicles, as you said, would have to charge during the day. Right, which is, which is good, and that's good at the home level. But I think 
you know, one of the enablers of, of EVs, and, and just to make this point clear, is, is that DC fast charging to alleviate range anxiety. And whether that's utilized, you know, how, how that is utilized or how, um, uh, you know, how much capacity that takes remains to be seen. But regardless, most of those, most of that public charging will take place during the peak hours, especially if people, you know, want to top up before they get home or on their way home with a DC fast charger. So how to manage that load on the grid is something we're really addressing. And that's where that interaction between the charging station, so how does the charging station or the charging network communicate with the grid operator with either their SCADA system or if they have a demand response system via third-party vendor like Internoc or Converge, how do we communicate to them? And then it goes back to what's, what's the connection? Is it you know, a hardwired connection or is it a cloud-to-cloud interface, which is the route ABB goes? What's the standard? Is it Open ADR 2.0? Is it SCP 2.0? So those are the, th- the kinds of things we're working on. Some some players are trying to put, you know, hardwired, um, we'll say hardware into each charging station, which would be a, basically a load controller. Uh, the avenue we're really exploring much more is open standards-based cloud-to-cloud connections between charging networks and grid-side networks. And then I, I would... I, I want to mention one more aspect of that is that makes this even trickier, and this is the problem we're all trying to solve. How do you convey that to the consumer, the EV driver, so they have an expectation that when they pull up to an ABB DC fast charger, they're going to get 50 kilowatts of power, uh, and they're going to get an 80% charge in 15 minutes. If there's a demand response event during that period, and that charge rate goes down to 20 kilowatts, uh, do you... Number of questions arise. How do you convey that to the customer? How do you compensate them for their for that extra time? Um, can they opt out of such a mechanism? Who who has priority in that case? So these are the kinds of mm-hmm. things that we're trying to tackle with our customers and with our utility partners. Well, and that goes also to another layer of that negotiation. Um, in a grid, you're going to start having priority issues. Uh, someone on you know from a from a technical side of the house. It would be a case of applying priorities, uh, but the other side is who, who does get the priorities. If the grid starts to brown out uh, and we have a smart grid and Internet of Things, you obviously leave the hospital running, but then who, does the butcher or the baker get to keep their uh, refrigerators running? Yeah, that, that, that's tough, and, and I think that's one of the larger challenges I think we're facing when, when you go, as we shift towards, a larger focus on energy efficiency uh, and connected services. And I, I don't have an answer for that specifically. I would say that if you're looking at, you know, critical services going out, you're probably going to end up charging someone's car a little bit slower. Um, but right now we're not up against the point where, excuse me, we're grid-side constrained. What, really what we're seeing, one of the, the other things we're seeing, though, is especially in, you know, urban areas, suburban areas, higher population densities where that load is higher or regionally higher. Utilities have a number of mechanisms to uh, disincentivize folks from using a lot of load, and one of those is, is demand charges. So as, you know, maybe for your audience, if they're thinking about uh, hosting or installing DC fast chargers, especially at the 50 kilowatt level, uh, demand charges are something they need to be very cognizant of during the planning phase. And demand charges, not not to get in too much detail, is essentially a, a supplemental fee 
that you pay based on your um, nearly instantaneous demand. So it's a 15-minute average demand, and then that that 15 minutes for you know if you hit a 15-minute peak for a monthly period, that can carry forward for up to a year, and it can represent pretty significant fees in certain areas. And by significant, I mean hundreds of dollars a month, just in a flat fee if you exceed that demand threshold only once. So it bumps you up into right. the next higher demand regime. So that's a big impact. So one of the things we also look at, so if we say, even if we don't have this holistic end-to-end solution with the driver opting into a demand response, et cetera, et cetera, there are still tools for the site host, the station host, to lower that power limit at times of peak demand or times of high load. So we as ABB can even offer that directly to our customers who are the site hosts, site owners, and operators, and they can say, okay, from the times of 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., I'm going to limit, I'm going to limit the output of this charger to 20 kilowatts instead of 50 kilowatts, and then I'll stay under my demand regime. And then you just charge customers a little bit lower. The, the flip side of that is you could also keep it at 50 and charge customers a higher rate. So off-peak, it may be $8 for a 30-minute DC fast charge, and on-peak, it may be $15 for 30-minute DC fast charge. So these are the things you kind of need to take into account to, to, to either, you know, come to terms with those additional costs on the demand side. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a planning piece I've seen derail many very, very suitable installations because they weren't out in front of how they were going to address those additional costs. You well, know, and that's an excellent point, Kel. I think uh, negotiated power, if I may coin a phrase, is going to be a much larger issue going forward when it comes to uh, grid and microgrid management. That's correct. Yeah, I agree. So, do you have any do you have any final thoughts for our audience before we close out the episode, Cal? Um, I, I very much appreciate the time today. Uh, I hope um, you know my, my points came across clearly. I, I think the, you know the main thing when looking at either installing, operating, owning EV charging networks is, is kind of in a very structured fashion, looking at the use case you want to provide. Do you want to get the fastest charge possible, or do you want to just provide some level of charging if it's a workplace, for example, with AC slow chargers? So finding out the ideal application for the use case is really key. Uh, we at ABB can help with that, can help those conversations based on you know what we've seen other folks do. And then thinking through some of the site-specific aspects around demand loading, location, power availability, I think are some of the other key things you can be, be doing to plan for the rise of EVs. I think what we're seeing, especially from an employer standpoint, is that more and more employees are requiring, I dare say demanding, that they have workplace charging available, and those employers of choice are, are being more and more pushed in a position to, to provide that service. So it's really a, not just, hey, a nice green thing to do. It's becoming more and more of a necessity, as, as you're right, as you say, as more folks are buying EVs. And I think we're past the point uh, where you can really treat this whole EV thing as an experiment, and it's really catching on uh, in a mainstream way. Well, exactly, exactly, Cal. And it's also because the technology, both in the vehicle and in the infrastructure, are catching up to the point where it is convenient to the user. That's right. So thank you so much, Cal, for taking the time to be with us. Um, we really appreciate it because, well, as, as we were just saying, um, EV infrastructures are actually becoming a very critical issue in the marketplace. That, that's correct, and, and you know that's what I do every day. I think it's fantastic, full of, of, of both uh, opportunities and, and challenges, maybe in, in an equal measure. 
never a dull moment in the EV infrastructure space, and, and always with some moving targets, but I really see a, a bright future for EV charging and the availability of public EV charging specifically. Excellent, excellent, Cal. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul Tom Power. Have a great day.